Thank you, Roger and Chris. It's good to see Roger like out from the soundboard. That's kind of fun. I like that. Hey, so I um, not only do I do the youth steering team, I'm also the worship steering team, and uh, I actually get to serve alongside a great team. And one of those members is our guest speaker this morning. Uh, when he first came to the church, I remember thinking, "Who's this old guy that's doing work?" Like, I think his audition song was like. Open the eyes of my heart or something. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be great. But uh, the more I've gotten it, no offense to the, if you like that song. Uh, but the more I've gotten to know him, um, it's just been incredible to work alongside someone that really cares about experiencing God's presence and really in our meetings pushes us um, pastorally um, to really tweak our thinking and as, a, as a worship steering team and how do we get this, this body because he wants this body so bad. Um, to experience God's presence. And so um, it's just a really a pleasure uh, every, every other Saturday to work alongside of him. So would you please welcome my good friend, Greg Thatcher. Yeah. Yeah, I love the worship steering team. Uh, getting to know them has been a real privilege and an honor. And this is not, oh, how awesome we are. It's, um, it's being fit together because I figured when I came into the church and Troy was leaving, of course, that would mean that I would take his spot because I am, of course, the big worship leader to fill his shoes. No, no, didn't work. Maureen and I have been here at Lake Sam for two years this coming August, and after this much time, we haven't gotten to know all of you yet, but getting to know the steering committee and the people in the Children's Church has been wonderful. So as I share this morning, you're going to find out more about me, probably more than you actually want to know. Uh, kind of funny about when you give a sermon, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, as a history teacher, I know about a guy named Lyman Beecher who had a, a great background uh, as a, uh, a revivalist and as a reformer during the 1800s. And as he ascended the pulpit one day, uh, someone handed him a piece of paper. And as he opened it, he read one word. It said, fool. And he thought about that for a minute. He climbed into the pulpit. And he, as he stood in the pulpit, he said, Many times I have received mail and have had criticism from people, and it's not been signed. He said, this time, the person signed his name first and didn't leave a note. <laughs> so, please direct your emails to Kurt Brunk at Lake Sam. <laughs> In the things I'm going to share with you this morning, I, at, at some point, you might feel sorry for me. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I am the richest man you know. I don't have money. Well, I do have a few dollars. We went to Las Vegas last week, right? But, and I came home with none. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but it's not money. I am the richest man that you know. God has so taken over my life. God has so blessed me with, uh, with the wife of my dreams, children and grandchildren who are far surpassed anything I could have imagined in this life. Parents that actually love me, brothers and sisters who are still discussing that, whether they love me or not. But I have such a great life. I have such a great um, ministry in the Lord. Not only to be able to teach, I teach at Cross Point Academy in Bremerton, Washington, though I live in Seattle. And I, I get to be part of the worship steering committee and lead worship here as well. I, I'm a really blessed man. I'm probably the richest man that you know. Thanks, my dad's here this morning. Thanks, dad, for everything that you poured into me. This morning, I'm going to talk about stopping. 
at the speed of life. If this is life and this is the stopping point, I'm talking about stopping at the speed of life. On Father's Day, Kurt talked about our physical and, and spiritual DNA, that God has blended those two for his purposes. The week before, Will talked about how God being our creator and that being part of our makeup has made us to be, in his image and likeness, creators as well. But whereas God made those things and created those things and then he rested, the proposition I'm going to share with you this morning from Scripture is that I believe that we are supposed to rest first, to listen and hear his voice, and then go do more for him. As he directs, as he directs us, he says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Well, with those plans, we need to know. Sometimes we think we know, and we just go, and that's me. Wasn't that a lot of the apostles, like Peter? But to know his voice and to wait on him, that's what we're going to find out this morning. More than just a sabbatical or a Sabbath or a quiet time, I'm talking about stopping at the speed of life to hear God's voice and to wait on him and to hear what he has to say. Roger's going to pray for us this morning. He, he was just up here. He's a popular guy. And then once Roger is finished, I'm going to have Babette come up. Babette, did I say that right? I'm going to have Babette come up and share a, a word that the Lord gave her in worship this morning. Roger? Thank you, God, for today, Lord. Thank you for the word that you are going to deliver through Greg today, God. We just thank you for uh, his willingness to stand up here and, and share his life, share what you're teaching him today. God, help us to hear your voice. Help us to take the time to listen and to hear what you are saying to each one of us, Lord God. Speak to us, Lord God. We, we, we surrender this time to you and ask, God, that you would speak through Greg to us individually, personally, um, passionately, Lord God. Help us to hear you, Lord. And God, we pray, for, um, we pray for First Pres today, Lord God, that they would also be uh, speaking your word and being uh, touched and led by your voice today. In Jesus' name, amen. Share that that the Lord shared with sure. you during worship. Um, first of all, there was a scripture that was brought to my mind, and it was in Matthew where Jesus is looking on the city of Jerusalem, and he says, um, I would that you would let me gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. And he says to us that he wants to gather us. He wants us to come under his covering, the shadow of his wing. And I got the picture of a mom taking her finger and licking the chocolate off the side of her child's face and then smoothing their hair down, you know, like they do. He goes, I want that kind of relationship with you where you allow me to show you where the things that are showing to the world are that you aren't aware of but I want you to be presented as holy, as clean to the world so they can't mock you and they can't ridicule you and they can't say things about you as my people. I want you to come under my covering and let me clean you up, basically, and present you to the world as mine. Amen. Thanks, Babette. That takes courage, too, does it not? God, gather us this morning in Jesus' name. Help us to hear you. As I've walked with the Lord for 39 years plus now, I have always found myself to be busy. Look busy, Jesus is coming. Have you seen that bumper sticker? <laughs> Look busy, Jesus is coming. Uh, you know, I'm, I, 
after Maureen and I were married, we moved to Kitsap County, uh, and for the first seven years of my ministry in teaching, in teaching, I, uh, I coached three and a half sports. You can ask me about the half later. Um, you, can, uh, you should know that I was a vice principal, I was a teacher, I was the athletic coordinator, I was the events coordinator for the school, and also I was on staff in the church as a worship leader and part-time preacher. Do you think I was busy? If you think I was busy, you should have seen Maureen. She was at home doing the hardest part, taking care of our home and our first two children. She had the harder job. But I found myself busy, busy, busy. After that school job, I went to another school, and I only coached two sports. But, you know, I got in the rotation of worship at the church we went to, Abundant Life Foursquare, and things just kept get, getting busy. In basketball, you know, you can't just have the, the season itself. It has to go spring league and summer league and then all the other things that go with it. And I just found myself busy. And as I got older, as it got into the 90s, we had a couple of houses built in Kitsap County. Uh, it just seemed like there was more and more and more, and my life seemed to be picking up speed like a snowball going downhill. And although the responsibilities I had were welcomed, um, I realized I was not always connecting with God. Now, I don't want you to think that I didn't spend time with God because time with God is really important to me. I get up early in the morning, on, usually on Sundays or on a Saturday, torturing my children, of course, on Saturday to get them up early. But, <laughs> hey, I'm up. They should be up, right? Dads, moms, right? They're up. We're up. Five o'clock, Saturday morning. I'd be vacuuming, right, Drew? And waking everybody. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, getting up early to, to do the things and prepare myself... But I think that in, the, in those times of seeking the Lord and asking him different things, I would, see, that was the thing. I was asking him for things. I was wanting him to bless me and take care of this and that. And when I had problems, I was bringing him my problems. And then I started hearing about sabbaticals. You should take a sabbatical. What is a sabbatical? Well, you get to take time off and rest and, you know, not do anything. <laughs> really? They pay you to do that? You know, I was already a teacher, so yes, they paid me to do that in the summertime. But I can do that in the summertime, you know, outside of my, I mean, in my church job too. So I took seven weeks off, and they paid me. It was great. And the pastor assured me, let me tell you, when I get done with this group, they're going to be better than when you left. Cool. Guess what? It was worse. <laughs> seven weeks off, and things got worse. And actually, it was six weeks because the seventh week, he begged me to come back. I'm not kidding. Sorry, Steve. He, he begged me to come back. Things were worse. And then by 1997, I realized I was having panic and anxiety attacks because of the neighbor from hell. If you haven't heard that sermon, uh, you can get that one. It was terrible. I thought my house was going to float away because it was on a, a flood-type plane, and I just I freaked out. I flipped out. I found myself in a depressive state. I went to see my doctor, who was a Christian, and I said, Christians don't get depressed. He says, yes, they do. <laughs> You're not the only one, son. And he helped walk me through that. And I had gone back on full-time church staff. I don't know what possessed me to do that. But I went back on full-time church staff, and it happened just as I went back on full-time church staff. And I found myself on my day off. Pastors understand a day off. I, on my day off, I would clean the house to just get my mind busy and then I would sit down and I would be in the presence of God and I would read the Bible and I started reading a book called The Jesus I Never Knew. And I started to sit before the Lord and not ask him for anything. I began to sit before the Lord and just hear his voice to me through the scriptures. 
And the scriptures became a lifeline, like a life preserver to me. That book, The Jesus I Never Knew by Philip Yancey, I took that book, I went back to teaching the next year in my ninth grade Bible class, that became part of my curriculum because it meant so much to me. Guess what? It didn't mean that much to the ninth graders. <laughs> but it meant a lot to me. And I heard things in new ways. What's the big deal about a Sabbath? I mean, it's just church and football, right? <laughs> Isn't Sunday just church and football? No? Well, when it's football season. By the way, football season seems to last, you know, 50 weeks out of 52, doesn't it? I, I, I don't know what that is. Isn't it just church and football? Why does God seem to harp so much about the Sabbath? We get the picture our body needs one day a week to rest because God did the same thing. But what about our spirits and our minds and our souls? As individuals, as families, as communities of the body of Christ, what should be the purpose of keeping a Sabbath without having it be legalistic? And the bigger picture, what does it mean to stop at the speed of life and have time with God, extended times with God? By the way, talk to Kurt and the staff about when they have a Sabbath because even as a worship steering committee, we talk about having a Sabbath. I don't know what it is, but uh, Kevin Perales, he gets one like every week. But <laughs> he has a Sabbath every week. I mean, I get that, but he has Sabbaths like in between. So I don't know how that works. But ask Kurt and the church staff about how they keep a Sabbath. You know that Kurt keeps his Sabbath usually by uh, prayer walks. And I was doing prayer walking also before the depressive episode. But again, I was asking God for things and not being mindful of God speaking to me. And we all need a Sabbath. Switch gears for a minute. Do you daydream about being on a beach in Mexico or Hawaii, sipping on something, maybe playing a round or two of golf and doing nothing? You dream about that? Your schedule like that? By the way, how, how do you do with that? Because if you're like me, I hope you're not, but if you're like me, after about two or three days of that, it's like, oh, I'm ready to go back. Let's go. I'm rested. I'm, when I took my sabbatical, after the first week, I thought, oh, Lord, I made a mistake. I need to go back. That was the worst thing I could have done, is to step back into that. After seeking him and asking him and having him give me direction about a sabbatical, that would have been so wrong for me to step back into that and be right back on the treadmill. Ever seen somebody fall off a treadmill at like eight miles an hour? <laughs> Talking about stopping at the speed of life. You ever seen that on a video? I mean, it's not really funny because they probably got hurt. <laughs> but that's, that's the idea. They had to stop at the speed of life. What does that mean to us? Going further than just a Sabbath or a quiet time, what does it mean to seek the face of God? What does it mean to rest and to wait on him. Psalm 46, verse 10 says this. This is so, this is the scripture that we're going to, uh, that's going to be at the center of what we're talking about this morning. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. Okay, I did it for five minutes. Is it over? It's really interesting to me. I always think that my 12th graders, my seniors, when I have family living with them, one of the things I stress is having a quiet time. And I'll say, today's quiet time is going to be this. Just get your Bible out and, and read it, or just get your journal out. Don't write anything yet. And just spend 10 minutes before the Lord. 
And I always think that they're going to push it. They're going to, after five minutes, somebody's going to drop their pencil and say, that's all. It's amazing to me about 80 or 90% of them will just read their Bible. Or they'll just be quiet. Or they'll just pray. Or after a few minutes, they'll write something in their journal. And they'll say afterwards, quiet time meant so much because we stopped. You stopped us, Mr. Thatcher. Thank you. Again, that's stopping at the speed of life. Be still and know that I am God. Taking time with God is much like tithing or kindness or anything else that God asks us to do. It's an investment. As we do our part, God takes that and he multiplies it back to us as we are obedient to do what he asks us to do. There's the law of sowing and reaping at stake here. Why have time with God? Why have an extended time with God? Well, what does our culture dictate to us about time? Push harder, try harder, go, 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 move ahead, keep running, faster, harder, always at all costs, no matter what. You can't go fast enough, but we'll find somebody who'll take the job for you. And you know what? The first two churches I was in, that was part of the deal. And I dare say in that race to get that boat down the river, that they burnt they only, not only used all the fuel up, but they threw all the goods inside the furnace to make sure the boat kept going as fast as it could. Selah. I'm glad that I know Kurt to some degree that he takes a Sabbath and makes sure that his staff and his steering teams have Sabbath built into what they do. What does the world say about this? Well, the civilized world says you have to know all those things about pushing, about going. But what about stopping? Romans 12, verse 2 says this. You probably already saw it up there. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Oh, I had my quiet time. I'm good. I'm good. I can do whatever I want now. I, oh, I kept Sunday. Yeah. Well, after service, I watched the football game, and after that, I... Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. That's a song by Hillsong, I believe. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. How will we do that if we don't stop at the speed of life? How can we do that if we continue and rush on? How can we do that? Scripture, history, the church, great persons in general show that there is real benefit to extended times in the presence of God. You know, you deny that fact that you need rest and time with God, your body may say, oh, you won't rest, huh? Well, I'll impose one. A friend of mine named Tim Dearborn, who was our chaplain for Krista for a couple, three years, he, he gave the story about how he pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, and he was part of a church ministry and a missions team and blah, 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 blah. And he kept ignoring these symptoms in his body until he got to the hospital and the doctor says, the tissue around your heart has a virus. You may not make it through the night. The push, 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 the adrenaline that you're pushing through your body, the caffeine you take, you know, because he drank a lot of coffee too. He said, your body is not meant for that. He said, we'll know you're going to live if you make it through the night. And he, he cried out to the Lord. He said, Lord, what happened? He said, Tim, do I have your attention now? Now, I'm not telling you that that's going to happen to you. I don't mean that. But sometimes we need to recognize that 
those things that happen to us, we are ignoring what our bodies are saying, what our minds, our souls, our spirit are saying, because we're in such a hurry to get something done, or we're in such a rush. I wasn't, a rush, wasn't in a rush to get my kids out the door after they graduated from high school, but I realized that was the progression of things. Now I wish in some ways that I could slow that down and find out what quality time was all about. I'm doing that with my grandkids, by the way. It really bugs my kids. <laughs> Our bodies are not designed to operate on a constant state of overload, and once you start that, it's hard to stop it. It really is. Because you're just so used to the adrenaline. You're so used to the pace of life. One of the things I've learned at school is when somebody says they need to talk to me about something important, I stop. I have to teach class next. I have to, you know what, the haftas will take care of themselves probably. And unless it's something really urgent, I will stop and I will talk to that kid or to that teacher, uh, staff member, whoever it might be, to listen. And sometimes it gets me in trouble because people think that even though my door is locked, it's open to them. <laughs> do, you, do you do that too? I mean, it's like, it doesn't matter if my door is locked, they come in anyway. Oh, I know you're busy, but... Because they know that I'll stop. And there's boundary lines to that, I get it. But I think that some people need to know that stopping is okay. It's interesting how our lack of rest and our bodies respond to it. You might have more colds, more flu, your blood pressure goes up. Stress eats us alive, so we eat stress alive, <laughs> right? Or we don't eat at all. Our bodies shut down. That's what happens to me. Our physical bodies might be shouting, please stop and rest. And God's saying, please stop and listen. The need for stopping can be se seen several places in the gospel. Here's one. Mark 6, 30 through 32, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour. He had sent them out two by two and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they went by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't just wave his hand and say, be warmed and filled and let's keep going? Uh, why didn't he do that? He could have. He's, the Holy Spirit is filling you right now and he's also filling your spirit as well as your gut. Jesus could have done that. But there was something about stopping. There was something about what Jesus wanted to explain to them or just to have them be in his presence that they needed because they were so tired. I'd like to suggest a few strategies this morning on handling stopping at the speed of life. Daily quiet time and Sabbath are just a starting point. Beyond that, to find a place in God to rest from our busy world and our busy culture. Now, the first one I'm not going to spend a lot of time on. Every one of us, with a few exceptions, needs six to eight hours of rest a night. Now, some of you, like me, you might need nine hours for beauty, beauty sleep. I don't know. That was a joke. My, okay, you're all beautiful people. Uh, but science shows us again and again and again and again with all these studies that, that sleep is important. Now, when I was in college, five hours, I was good. How about you? Man, I could go and go and go. Like Will Lees, Will Lees is a superman in my opinion. 
uh, gives teaching sessions for UPS. He's on the steering team, and he does like two or three other things as well. Man, he can get by on a few hours sleep. Adam? No, depends on the mood. Was, was, <laughs> was Jack? Totally figured Kevin out yet. But maybe you can get by on that. But as I went on in life, I tried to do that five, six hours thing. And you know what they found out when they, when they diagnosed me with clinical depression? Was that I had sleep deprivation. Go figure. They, you, you have a sleep deprivation problem. This is part of your problem with depression. You need to sleep more. My children were almost out of the home. That was good news for them, but it was a little bit late. You need to sleep more, Greg, my doctor told me. You need to rest more. My counselor told me I needed to find boundary lines. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about sleep. You need more sleep. Maybe you're at a place you can't sleep. Maybe you know, you're a young parent, got kids, I don't know. But you need to find time to rest. Your body's not meant to run like that. I'm not a physician, but your body's not meant to run like that. I want to talk about three things that will help us spend time with God to stop at the speed of life and to listen. One is finding daily still points. I heard Will say hard stop one time in a meeting. I thought he said dead stop. <laughs> and by the way, why do they call them deadlines? You know, I've been in a few church staffs in schools where like it was a deadline. You know, you didn't get it done. Find daily still points. Find places in the week, in the month perhaps, maybe quarterly, maybe twice a year. Maybe you can do this for a, a few years. Find a stopover place. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. And every once or twice, maybe three times in life, you come to a crossroads and you need a grinding halt. <clears throat> Daily dead stops or still points. Listen to this about Susanna Wesley, the mother of, Sus sorry, of Charles and John Wesley, who had 18 children. Yeah, wow. If Susanna Wesley couldn't find room to retreat to, for prayer, her children watched her flip up her apron over her head and pray. Now that's a still point. <laughs> that's a dead stop. Kids, mom's going to be with the Lord. Wow. And by the way, according to the story of John and Charles Wesley, everything stopped and the kids went away because that was mom's time with God. David found still points during his day. Uh, Psalms 119 verse 164 says, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. David found seven times at least, because he talks about songs in the night as well, seven times to praise God for his righteous laws. Praise refreshes us and puts the focus back on God. It helps us to remember who we belong to. Before my kids left somewhere, I would always, me, Maureen and I would always say, remember who you belong to. Belong to God first and then us. You know, remember who you belong to. That point during the day, that still point, reminds me of who I belong to and why I'm doing the thing that I'm doing. It's a great time. It, it gives you a focus. They, they did a study on guys that um, were shooting guns at a shooting range. This is not a Second Amendment commercial. Uh, that at, the, at the shooting range, and they were testing their brainwaves, and they found out that their brainwaves were pretty normal, even with, you know, just like getting a gun locked and loaded and everything. But once they focused, their brainwaves went to a, more, more, a way more focused point. 
And right before the gun went off was the most focused point that they had on the target. In coaching basketball a few years ago, I started a freshman. And uh, he was an erratic kid, but he was a great athlete. And the game was close, and he got sent to the foul line six times in the last 30 seconds. And the other team was trying to foul us and stop the game and try to get back in the game by fouling this kid and hoping that this freshman would miss his shots. He made five out of six when we won the ball game. So Drew, what, what was it? Didn't you hear the crowd? Didn't you hear what they were saying to you, the names they were calling you? He said, I was so focused on the basket and not messing up. He said, that's how I made the five out of six. I wanted to make sure that my focus was right. I didn't hear anything, coach. I didn't hear anything. That's how focused Drew was. That's how focused we should be. The other day, somebody cut me off in a gas line, live in Seattle, you know. You know how, does that work in Bellevue and Redmond too? They still cut you off in a gas line? I got cut off in a gas line down at the Shell Station. And instead of, Ugh! you know, I have this tendency to, I can, I can get upset about a puddle on the ground, right? If somebody cuts me off in a gas line, and I thought, still point, wow. It was raining that day, and it was just starting to clear off. Wow, st sky's clearing. Hey, there's the building that Maureen works in right there. She works downtown at Union Square 1 and 2. You know, and you know, Lord, I just remembered I saw something last night that we're just a speck in the universe, and yet, God, you still love us? That's so cool. And by the time that still point was over, the person was gone, my turn to be in line. It was a still point. It was a focus point for me to remember who I belong to. Make the day stand still. Focus your attention on Jesus. Make the day stand still. I know that happens in a quiet time, but make it happen throughout the day. Your day will be a lot, our day will be a lot better for it. Second one is a stopover. Every few weeks, every few months, maybe you feel like, you know, work or with the kids or whatever it might be, or with your wife, then you would be a stalemate or your husband, a stalemate. Yeah, Kurt told me these wouldn't work. <laughs> they, but that was his idea, by the way. I just, Kurt. You know, maybe, maybe the project wasn't so great the last time that you were to do, or, you know, it just, something's not connecting with you, doing your work in church, or whatever it might be. And it's just not up to your standards, but you keep pushing anyway. And you just got to push through it, and you pray for wisdom, and you get knout. That means nothing. You're, you fast, and all you get is a stomachache. And, and you wonder, what now? Well, maybe it's time for a stopover. Take an hour. Take a few hours. Take a few days. Find a quiet spot at home in the woods. Maybe at your bedside. Maybe at a bed and breakfast. Send all the folks away. Turn off all the electronics. <gasps> turn off all the electronics. But what if... I had, I don't know, 165 emails when I got back from Las Vegas. By the way, it didn't bother me to delete almost all of them. Plan out the time. Block it out. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still. Just present yourself before the Lord. I remember when, before I signed my contract in 1988, I, I had Maureen and the kids leave the house. This is, this is like telling you the fact that Maureen had the harder job. And I was seeking the Lord about whether I should sign my contract for the next year or not because things were bleak. 
five and a half hours out of the six that I was with the Lord, the Lord was de dealing with me on so many other things that when we finally got to the contract, it was, oh yeah, uh, Greg, by the way, you can go ahead and sign your contract. But see, the Lord wanted time with me. I didn't understand that. I just thought it was about getting an answer from him. I didn't know it was about spending time with him. Just three years ago, I knew that the school was going to undergo a very big change. They were going to rebrand. They were going to rebrand us. They were going to give us a new name and so forth. And so I took three days on Hood Canal. And you know, for those two days, here's what I did: I read my Bible. I read some books. I read my Bible. I read some books. I went for a walk. I went for a run. Um, I slept in. <laughs> I took a nap. I sat in the sun. I prayed. I read. And on the third day, the Lord finally spoke to me. I was walking through the woods up at Hood Canal. I came to a clearing. I could see about 200 degrees. I could see the mountains. I could see Hood Canal itself. I could see trees and so forth. And the Lord said, this year, son, you're going to need to look for places of clearing because the woods are going to be dense. And I want you to know my presence will go with you. And you don't need to fear. And when you feel that you're out of your own strength, ask me. Ask me for the places of clearing, and I'll give them to you. I can't tell you the, the number of things that came up during that, during that stopover that I'd go back and read my journal later on in the school year and say, yeah, Lord, that, that is what that was about. And I never do art stuff because I'm really not good. Uh, I stick people and all that kind of stuff I have problems with. But I, I've learned to use computer things. That I can put a picture here and a picture there and put things together. And I put together this picture that I put in my class by computer enhancement. It was about the clearing. It was about the clearing. And it really spoke to me. I took a stopover. Three days. Thank you, Maureen, for giving me that time. I, cer I certainly appreciate it. You know, it, sometimes it's not a routine. It's taking time to retool, to refresh, to regroup, to reconnoiter. You can ask me about that one later. It's a teaching word. Refit and rejoice. Have no real routine except to stop, to rest, and to listen. Doing nothing helps your focus and your noticing of the things that God may want to speak to you about. Doing nothing brings to the top those things that are probably the most important to you, to God, or things that he wants to deal with us about. It's important to stop and to listen. Elijah's story is great. He had a stopover. He just got done, you know, slaying the prophets of Baal and fire came down from heaven and then he, was heard, he heard that uh, Ahab and Jezebel were chasing him so he went and hid in a cave and he had a, still, he had a, he had a stopover. And God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now that alone is worth a still point moment in a day, is it not? <laughs> Forget about the stopover. That's a great point for a still point. Great place for a still point. What are you doing here? And Elijah gave him this big story about how he was doing it solo. No one was there to help him. And God asked him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? By the way, do you think God didn't know? <laughs> oh, myself, I don't know what Elijah's doing. No. He was asking Elijah because Elijah was taking the time out, a stopover, to say, Lord, I don't know if I can go any further. And what did God do? He fed him. He rested him. And then he gave him some advice. Go get Elisha, Elisha, go get him to help you. Delegate responsibility. You're not the only one. There's thousands that have not bowed the knee to Baal. 
And because of that stopover, Elijah was able to carry on and go forward in his ministry. It was an important time for Elijah. What are you doing here? God assures Elijah he's not the only one. Are there places in your life today that look like the situations that I've mentioned from the Bible or from my own life? Did you just push on? By the way, it's okay if you did. God loves you just the same, still has his hand upon your life. He will not leave you or forsake you. But remember, if you always do what you've always done, you always get what you always got. This is supposed to work. Quiet times get dry. It sounds like you're talking to the ceiling. Fasting doesn't help. His hand is right there. Take some, even if it's just an hour, flip your apron over your head. I'm talking about guys working on cars. Flip your apron over your head and just be before the Lord. There's great rest in that. I got to seek him. There are times to do that. Absolutely. There's still points, there's stopovers where we need to seek him. How about a grinding halt? Are you at a crossroads in your life? Has there been a change in employment? Like your new work schedule is day off and stay off? <laughs> Has there been family changes? Is there something else looming on the horizon? Are you just restless in your spirit, your soul, your mind, your body, everything? Now, I'm not talking about if you have ADHD or something like that. Okay, that's a whole different program. Do you find that you avoid work or home or school and you just take more time to do menial things? You plan your day around like solitaire on the computer. I can't wait till I get home to play solitaire. Or you, you, you plan your day around, you know, whatever your hobby might be. I remember I was so dissatisfied at the church, I would plan my time around my running at noon and just take like 15 more minutes before I ran and 15 more minutes after I was supposed to run just to have more time to run because I was avoiding going back to work. I don't know if you've done that or felt that way. You know, instead of what's so important and what you thought was your life's work has become mundane, you may, you may need an extended stopover or a grinding halt. Grinding because stopping at the speed of life at a place like that will take a lot of stopping power. I don't know how your brakes are to stop, but it takes a lot. I was thinking about being on the plane going to Las Vegas. I was going 600 miles an hour. It doesn't even feel like it, does it? If I was to stop, it would be tragic, obviously, but stopping at the speed of life. For some of us, we're going supersonic. And to stop would take a great deal of braking power. I think at times we need a great deal of braking power. And when it comes to grinding halts, do you think guys like Brent Christie, who, by the way, I just found out from, from Kurt when I gave him this message uh, on Wednesday or Thursday, I just found out that Brent Christie's doing a sabbatical. He's doing a grinding halt. And that um, Chantel had done one the year before. Do you think the people on the missions and, and ministry team didn't have a, a, a grinding halt in their life? Maybe not 40 days like Jesus took, or was it 14 years for the Apostle Paul? But do you not think that they had a grinding halt to ask God, Lord, is this where I'm going? Is this change that's coming? Do I only feel it? Or do I feel it in my spirit? Is I know that it's from you. Because, Lord, if I know it's you, I can step into it. But if I don't know it's you, it's just feelings I have. I think God wants us to be careful when it comes to that. I'm sure that, that Stephen and Caitlin 
had a grinding halt to listen and to hear from God. Um, Jay and Linda Cruz and, and so forth, going right down the list, I believe the, all these people probably had a time of a grinding halt to find out God's will as he began to change the focus of ministry in their life, to be more like Jesus. Don't forget, it's not just so we have something different vocationally. It's being more like Jesus. This process, whether it's a still point, whether it's a stopover, whether it's a grinding halt, is to conform us to the image of God's Son who loved me and gave his life for me. And it's exciting, too. It's exciting, too. And I never wanted to go to Ukraine. That was for my wife and for Drew. They can go to, go to Ukraine to your heart's content. I don't want to go. And I had a stopover one time. And I just sought the Lord. You know, I didn't, I didn't seek him about going to Ukraine or anything. I just, before the Lord, son, I want you to go. I want you to go to Ukraine next year. By the way, why did you let your son go without you this last time? You didn't even ask me. It's a senior year. You, you've missed out. Now, it wasn't a scolding. It was just like, this is the truth. It wasn't a scold. This is the truth felt really bad about that. And you know, the next year I went, and then I went two more years after that. God changed my heart because of a stopover. And he also changed my heart about a grinding halt. I'll tell you about that some other time. But Jesus took a grinding halt. Matthew 4, verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Forty days and forty nights he fasted and became very hungry. I bet. <laughs> I bet. In three of the four Gospels, Jesus took a grinding halt. He did it with fasting. Now, you don't have to do that. It doesn't court any more of God's favor, but it does. I remember taking an eight-day fast one time. It does help us to hear his voice, I think, clearer without the clutter. And I think it clears out our spirit because we're not worried about eating so much. We're, we're trying to understand what the will of the Lord is according to Ephesians 5. Kurt's message, he said that Jesus himself, and the scripture backs this up, that Jesus did, Jesus said that he did what he saw his father doing. And at this check-in point, this granding halt, this 40 days, Jesus was going to go from a not-so-public life to a very public life of ministry. It was going to lead to notoriety, his passion, his death on the cross, the shedding of his blood, and then the glorious resurrection where he would be seated at the right hand of the Father. He was 100% God and he was 100% man and he still took the time. He didn't go, I get it, I get it, yes, I get it. He could have done that, I think he could have, but instead he was human. Lord, I'm checking in with you. Father, I'm checking in with you one more time. And it was from that place, after he'd been baptized in 40 days in the wilderness, it was after that that he went and he did his public ministry. There's something transformational. It doesn't have to be 40 days, by the way. It doesn't have to be all at once either. It can be a few hours at a time. It can be a few days at a time. But I think it's really significant when you get that time to hear from God. I think we get stuck in a rut. As Christians, I think we really get stuck in a rut. We think we know. It's like Atlas, you know? We've decided to carry the world on our shoulders. And then all of a sudden we do that for a while and we go, God, are you there? Sure he is. He wants to take that load from us and he wants us to spend time with him because he loves us. We're always saying it's about relationship, not religion. If that's true, some of us, I would say, based on communication, have a very, very poor relationship with God. 
If I was not to call Maureen or write to her, let's say I was gone for a while, unless this was understood beforehand, if I never called her, if I never wrote her, if I never emailed or texted, whatever, she would think there's something wrong with that boy. He's not connected to me anymore. And yet we do that with God. Ah, he'll always be there. Well, yeah, he will. But if we say it's about relationship and not religion, why are we not better connected with still points, with stopovers, with grinding halts? And I realize you can't do it all the time, but I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it to mark out the time. Don't, don't forget, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness as well. You'll be tempted to step away from it. Things will try to get in your way to not take that grinding halt. In the coming transition, if there is to be one, God would speak comfort, preparation, courage, and strength to you about the now and about the future. He wants to assure you of his presence. And for that reason, we need to listen. Really listen to him and be ready to do as he instructs. Moses said, I'm going to turn aside and see this site, that burning bush. By the way, Moses, Joshua, Abraham, Esther, David, Elizabeth, Paul, just to name a few, took stopovers and grinding halts in order to listen and to hear God. Time is precious with God. Time is precious, is a precious commodity in our, in our world. It's probably worth more than money. So spending time with God, he would take that as being precious. We sing, he is jealous for me. That's so true. But are we spending the time to stop and listen? Again, daily quiet times and Sabbath keeping, those are just starters. Those are just starters. Maybe we need to get down below the surface. When uh, couples come to me that aren't doing well, oftentimes I'll say, why don't you get away for a while and rekindle your relationship? It's the same principle here. You're going to rekindle your relationship with God. You and he alone. You and he alone. He's jealous for us. Let's make daily still points, plan stopovers when necessary, and grinding halts, especially if God is indicating a major change. Be still and know that I'm God. Psalm 27, 13, and 14 says this, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Pastor Charles Swindoll, anybody know him? Chuck Swindoll? Got a few books out on the radio all the time. By the way, Adam, older than me? Impossible. I know, impossible, yeah. Chuck Swindoll once found himself with too many commitments in too few days. He got nervous and tense. I was snapping at my wife and our children, choking down my food at mealtimes and feeling irritated at those unexpected interruptions throughout the day. Never happens to us. He recalled, before long, things around our home started reflecting the pattern of my hurry-up style. I had become quite unbearable. Don't ask Maureen about how many times I had become unbearable. I distinctly remember that after supper one evening, the words of our young daughter, Colleen, she wanted to tell me something important that had happened to her at school that day. She began hurriedly, Daddy, I want to tell you something, and I'll tell you really fast. Suddenly, I realized her frustration, and I answered, Honey, you can tell me, and you don't have to tell me really fast. Say it slowly. I'll never forget her answer. Then, Daddy, please listen slowly. 
please listen slowly. I think that's a good principle for us when we have those places with the Lord. Even in a Sabbath or a quiet time, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. God the Father just desires to meet with us, to strengthen us, to spend time with us. And here's, here's another one, to go deeper with us. I know the plans I have for you. It's not that God has a wonderful life for my plan. God has a wonderful plan, God does, for my life. I need to step into that. Still points, stopovers, grinding halts can help get us to that. Could God speak it by his Holy Spirit directly? Absolutely. I know he's done that at times in my life. Again, that's about something about me. It's not getting to know him. It's not me hanging out with him. It's not me spending time with him with no agenda. What would you like to bring, Lord, if anything? And by the way, when I sat in those times with the Bible and Jesus I never knew, sometimes I would plead with the Lord to take my depression away. I never heard from him. But he did. But he did. He didn't owe me an explanation. He didn't owe me a healing. I think what God wanted was time with his son. He wants time with you, his sons and daughters. As Kara plays this, I just want to read this scripture. Kevin kind of started this about listening to scripture from worship. It's from Psalm 46, 1 through 3, and then 10 and 11. It's not up on the screen, okay? It's going to let you be still here. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we'll not fear. Though the earth give way, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let me read 10 and 11 one more time. If you want to close your eyes, you can. You don't have to. Just like us to be at a place of peace. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Would you take the uh, communion cup that's there in front of you, the two cups that are there? Father, we just take a still point with you. Father, we just, we see ourselves as just before you're in your face. We take this bread. 
And Lord, without you, our lives are broken. Our lives are broken, God. But you made them whole. So Lord, we take the bread in Jesus' name. And Lord, we take the cup. You said, take and drink it. (laughs) This is the new covenant in my blood. This is the new covenant. Lord, you changed things. You changed the game. You became the focus. You became the sacrifice. You shed your blood for us. And it was the new covenant that you made with us. So, Lord, we take the covenant of your blood. And, Father, we we recognize that we are new because of the shedding of your blood. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Ushers, if you would come forward. Father, we, uh, we give our offering, our tithe to you. All of it belongs to you, Lord. So blessed as we give. You love a cheerful giver. You love a hilarious giver. So, Lord, we give not because it hurts, but we give because we love to give back to you so ministry can be fulfilled because all of it belongs to you. And, Father, we pray for Pastor Kurt this morning that in Jesus' name that you would touch him. I know he's not feeling well. Lord, that you would restore him and give him rest in Jesus' name. As we do the worship at the end, create that still point with the Lord. Kara leaves us. Kara, it's so great to have you back. Lord bless you.